If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John today, John's Gospel. Um, near the beginning, we're going to be in chapter 3. Um, if you were in Psalms, go to the right. If you were in 1st, 2nd Corinthians, go to the left, uh, and you will find it. Um, so... Uh, We're in the season of Lent. Uh, I think Lent is helpful. This is the second Sunday in Lent. It is the 40 days, not counting Sundays, that lead up to Easter. I think it is a useful tool. It has been in my life, just a time to set aside, to focus um, on some things that I don't normally spend time focusing. They don't leap into my mind. And so our mortality, um, sin, our need of salvation and rescue, and all these things, it is not a self-improvement project. It is uh, not about having it all together. It is a reminder that we don't have it all together. And so I love this season and find it so, so helpful. Uh, It helps give me, it's helped me in the past give perspective uh, to life, to make sure that I am looking at life in the proper way because I don't know if you've noticed, but it it gets out of whack. The way we think about life sometimes just gets so messed up. Uh, I used to, before I did this, I was a full-time engineer, professional engineer. I still am, but I just do it kind of as a hobby now. Uh, But uh, for many years, I was a professional engineer. Uh, It will surprise some of you uh, and some of you will not that I was not a great employee. I was, some of you that have been around me for a while will go like, no, I can't imagine working with you. It sounds like a nightmare. And it, it was. Like, it was an absolute nightmare to work with me. And, and I remember the point that it became bad, that I became just intolerable as an employee. And I got better. I've, I've repented and confessed, confessed and repented. Uh, but I remember the moment. Uh, I grew up believing that if you worked hard, and you were smart enough and good enough, like that's how you advanced in life. Like that's how you would advance in a company. And I was in, I'd been an engineer for a few years, and I was at, they finally got invited. I was moving up in the company. I was very excited about my progress. I was um, in Atlanta for a big thing. It was my first time being invited to the corporate headquarters of this company and of this big meeting. And uh, the first person stood up to give this presentation and talk about what was going on in the company uh, and, and the engineering things that we were doing. Uh, and I didn't understand. I was confused because they seemed like an idiot. And that startled me. I was like, that can't be true. This person is so far up in the company, they have to be incredibly sharp. The next person stood up and gave, began to give a talk. Uh, and I was confused because the things that they were saying were so out of date. They were years old. Like the people that I had known from these small towns that I'd worked with, they had told me these things years ago. And I was like, there's no way. Like this person, and then the third person began to talk really high up in the company, so many layers above me, I would never ever get to meet this person. And it hit me then, oh, you do not necessarily, just because you've advanced far in life and got way up, doesn't mean that you're necessarily the smartest person in the room. And from that moment on, I became a terrible employee. I just, I just would, it was intolerable. My boss would say, hey, Chris, go do this, this, and this. And I go, I'm not going to do that. Why? Doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do this instead. And I just became that kind of employee that just did what I thought needed to be done. Now, later I learned this. Some people who have worked very hard, they've moved the way up in the companies because they are, they have earned it. They have the, the, the wisdom and stuff, uh, the wisdom and, and the experience and uh, uh, the ethic, the work ethic to get there. And so I learned later that just because you advance doesn't mean you uh, shouldn't be listened to. And I also learned that my attitude was wrong, but it shattered the way that I understood the world. 
It, it, it just shattered my understanding of how things are. It's happened a bunch. As a matter of fact, that's a theme in a lot of literature, in a lot of movies, the theme of your world being shattered, how you understand and see the world being completely changed. Uh, there was, um, oh, you know, Twain wrote The Prince and the Pauper, right? These two boys that look the same, and one was a prince, and one is, a, one is just absolutely poverty-stricken. One is in royalty, and, and one has nothing, and they, by chance, meet each other, and they decide to swap places, and they see the world completely different from then on out. Or... The Truman Show. Uh, it's an old movie, right? But this is, if you've never seen The Truman Show, uh, it stars Jim Carrey, and he, uh, he turns out his whole life has just been one reality show. Like, he he's lives in this huge dome, and they can control the weather, they can control everything, and everybody in the entire, in his, in his life is just an actor or an extra. The whole thing is built around him, and everybody watches his life, and by the end of the movie, he, he's discovered through a set of series of events that, that it's all been a show. He sails out, and they're trying to stop him, and he tries to get to the edge of the dome and there's people outside in the real world cheering him on and they say to him before he goes outside and they go they say hey just so you know it's really not better out here than it is in there or the matrix right makes me a 90s youth pastor right just mention the hey guys i mentioned the matrix in in a in a sermon that makes me a 90s youth pastor you had to mention the matrix in the 90s if you're a youth pastor or they took back your frosted tips and your big white watch uh so uh, uh so there we are yeah, but this idea that the world is not how you think it is, right? That there's something else out there. Uh, and, and that's what Lent helps me with, this perspective that maybe in my daily living, in the things that I do over and over and over again, I've forgotten what's true and what's real and what's happening. I want to look at John 3 today. It's the story of this guy named Nicodemus. And, and here's the deal. I said at the beginning of the service, like I've really been... <laughs> I, there's something here that is so special and I've been struggling to say it clearly. I'm gonna do the best I can. I think John 3 and 4 have to be read together so I'm just gonna read 3 to start off with and then we'll get to 4 in a minute. Uh, it says this, this is John. Oh, before, oh, like, before we start, John. Uh, every time I talk about John, I gotta tell you what John says at the end, like the last, the very end of John. He says this is a great thing. He says, this is what we've seen and heard from Jesus but this is only some of the things he did. This is what John says. He says, if everything that he did were written down, I don't think the world could contain all of the books. That's amazing. Here's one that's important, and I always mention it, uh, because that means John selected every single thing he tells us for a reason. There's something he wants us to know. Uh, he, he left things out so he could include this, uh, always. Uh, all right, so this is what he says. Uh, there was a man uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man uh, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Uh, he is a Pharisee, so that means that he is one of the ruling class. He's a member, probably, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this other group called the Sadducees. They made up uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, which was uh, responsible as the national body in charge of Jewish affairs. Even though the area was ruled by Rome, uh, the Sanhedrin had influence, and they would, you know, for example, at the end of, of the Gospels, uh, Jesus being tried, they come, they come to uh, the ruler of the Jews, and he's like, dude, this is like, shouldn't this be, this is an issue for you. This is for one of the Sanhedrin, this is not for us. So they would handle internal things to Israel. So he's it's made up of uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, and they're the driving force behind the plot against Jesus in, in the Gospels at the end. It's the Sanhedrin. And so he believed a few things because he was a Pharisee. We know that he probably believed uh, certain things. Uh, for example, he would believe for certain that God is the God of the Jews, right? The uh, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Uh, The the people descended from Abraham, the Israelites were God's people. He would have believed that deeply. He would also have believed in God's kingdom, right? That the Davidic kingdom that is going to come, because he would have known the Old Testament scriptures really, really well, and they would have expected this kingdom uh, ruled by a descendant of David to come. Just a few examples, it's all over. It's in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, just like a few examples. In Isaiah 9, for example, it says, for unto us a child is born. Isaiah is prophesying. Government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. That happens all the way through Isaiah and Jeremiah. This this prophecy that there's going to come a descendant of David who rules, who brings back the rule of Israel over this area. So he would have believed in this deeply because it, and even it would say in Ezekiel, Ezekiel seems to say that, not seems to say, he says that, that when this ruler comes, God is gonna be there and he's gonna shepherd his people himself. This is something that Nicodemus would have believed, that God's kingdom was coming. Would have been descendant of David. Other thing that he would have believed, uh, he would have believed that this kingdom uh, and somehow entering God's kingdom would somehow have to do with eternal life. That was one of the big debates at the time between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the Pharisees believed that there was eternal life. Uh, he also would have been deeply convinced that the way to live was in accordance with the Hebrew scriptures. That all of God's laws and God's rules needed to be followed and followed strictly. 
Uh, so they were very, very much rule followers. As a matter of fact, they just, they, there, were, there weren't enough rules. They just made up more rules on how to follow the rules that were already there. There were a bunch of rules, and he would have believed this. So he comes to Jesus at night because into his, into his world, the way that he understands how the world works, into this life that he's living, Jesus shows up, and he's doing all of these amazing, he's giving all these amazing teachings. He's giving all these uh, amazing sayings. He's, he's saying things with authority. He's doing all of these miracles, and so he, he's, how does Jesus fit into my understanding of how the world works? And so he comes to him at night to ask questions. But did you notice that he doesn't even ask a question? He just shows up and he says, he says, he's just very polite, right? Rabbi, we know that you are from God. Uh, who else can do these things if you aren't from God? Uh, you, you, uh, only you can do this if you're from God. So he comes to him to talk to him. And Jesus, in my mind, I don't know how it happened. It's not there. Jesus just turns around and looks at him, right? And just like, he's like, hey, like, how, nice to meet you. And Jesus is just like, nope. You can't get into the kingdom. And he's like, I'm sorry, What? I just came, I wanted to ask you some questions. And Jesus just says to him, you got to be born again. Apropos of apparently nothing, right? I mean, he didn't say, Jesus, how are you born again? Jesus just turns around and is like, you got to be born again to get into the kingdom. And then he says, he says a very reasonable thing. Well, that doesn't make sense at all. How can that possibly be? And then Jesus goes even further, and he says, you've got to be born of water and spirit, or you can't enter the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh, that is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. Don't be surprised by this. What Jesus is doing is he's gently and lovingly dismantling this guy's entire way of seeing the world. I mean, he was, a, he was a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. I'm an Israelite, and so God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we are his nation, and Jesus, without him even asking the question, he says, this kingdom that you believe in, this kingdom that is coming, you will never get into it unless you're born again. Your spiritual birth, your physical birth is not enough. That's not what matters. Well, what, it, then, then what? And he says, here, if you want it, you have to be born of the spirit. Uh, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound. So you, we don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes, but we see its effect. And he says, the same is the true of the spirit. If you're born of the spirit, it's this mysterious thing, and you seem to think that you can control it with your behavior, but you absolutely can't. It's a mysterious gift from God. He thinks that he can control and manage these things by the way he lives. He thinks that because he's a descendant, he can have access to this kingdom that's coming. And Jesus has come, and he's just slowly dismantled everything that this guy believes. You can't control it. It doesn't matter that you're born a Jew. You have to be born again. And his response to this is, how can this be? Who then? Who can have access to this kingdom if it's not descendants of Abraham, if it's not us who follow the law, if it's not, how can we have eternal life? And then Jesus begins to say, this is who. How can these things be? Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And then Jesus explains, 
He says, we understand we're talking about, you don't believe our testimony, but, but I've seen these. I'm the best witness of these things. I've descended from heaven. I've seen heavenly things. I've seen earthly things. And he says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. How can these things be? is what he's asking. How can, who can have access if it's not for the people to follow God's rules, if it's not for the descendants of Abraham, then who in the world can possibly have access? And Jesus says it's those who believe in the Son of Man who's lifted up. And he references this story that happens in Exodus. Uh, all of these serpents come into the village. God is, or not in the village, into the tent, in the tents. Uh, God is punishing the people of Israel for their unbelief, for their disobedience. And, and so he punishes them and he sends these serpents in and they begin to, strike people and, and they're dying of poison and he says to save them what I need you to do is to make a brass, a brass serpent and put it on a, a pole and if anybody looks at that brass serpent they'll be saved and they look at that and believe they'll be saved and he says this just like that serpent was lifted up and by the way Jesus is pulling so much Old Testament stuff right here in these few sentences I mean he's back in Genesis 40 about lifting up the head of I mean he's just the son of man he's going back to Daniel he's just He's saying so much. Like, there's, like the, he and Nicodemus are on the same page with these crazy weird references. It's like me and like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like he's catching all of the references. He knows all of the things. And so he's just laying all this out. And he says, like, this, like he was lifted up, the son of man will be lifted up. And he means, not, he means on the cross, right? Lifted up on the cross, but also lifted up uh, above all heaven and authority, exalted in status. Which, what's gonna happen? Uh, he's gonna be exalted in status. And he says, the, by looking at him and believing that God will save you, that's how you'll get in. That's how you get into the kingdom. The only way into the kingdom. Nicodemus's mind is blown. Jesus has just said that the world works in a completely different way than you think it does. You have to have a new spiritual birth. A new heart has to be given to you. Not that's just that you've kept the rules out of fear or obligation or because it gives you social status, but your heart has actually been changed. You've been made a different human being. You've been born again. Not only do you not murder, but you don't even want to. Not only do you not, 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 only do you not commit adultery, but you don't want to. Your heart has to be changed. And then he says, here's why this is going to happen this way. Because God loves the world this much. Right? Blows Nicodemus' mind. And then Jesus does it again on the next page to somebody completely different. I'm not going to read it for time, but I'm going to tell you the story real quick. I want you to read it later. Genesis, sorry, John 4, in the very next chapter, uh, Jesus uh, and his disciples are traveling uh, and they go through this area called Samaria. Uh, so already you're, he's told you like this is a completely opposite end of the spectrum. This is not Jerusalem with the people in charge, not the religious people. This is Samaria, a place that some Jews would not even go through. They would walk around it, right? Uh, they considered the people that lived in, they, they didn't believe the same things. They had part of the Bible, took parts of it out, worshiped in the wrong place, all kinds of crazy things. It's a long story. But they, Samaria, no good. So they come to this town, Jesus is tired, which by the way is insane because one page before it says that Jesus created the whole world, amazing. So he's tired, the creator of the whole world is, is tired from his walk and he sits down by a well and this woman comes, she's so Sumerian, comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, why don't you get me something, to, give me some drink. And she's like, dude, you shouldn't even be talking to me. Like, what's happening right now? And he says, hey, if you knew who I was, uh, you would ask me for a drink and I would have given you something to drink. And, and she says, you, you don't even have a bucket. 
Like, how would you draw water to give me something to drink? Are you greater than Jacob? Which is hilarious. Uh, it's, oh, it's so good. John's such a good writer. Uh, and he says, listen, like, the water that I have to give you is not like this water. Like, you have to come here every day and get water from here so you're not thirsty. I would give you, I would give you water that welled up inside of you to eternal life. And she says a logical thing. Sir, give me this water so I don't have to come here every day. My life is hard. Give me this water. And Jesus says, go get your husband because that's how conversations go. And she says, uh, yeah, I'm not married. And he goes, yeah, I know. You've been married five times and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So she like, says, listen, like, she changes the conversation to talk about worship and says, look, there's a Messiah coming and he's gonna explain all these things to us. I don't get it. Us and the Jews disagree. I don't get it. Uh, and Jesus says to her, that's who I am. And so she splits, disciples show back up, and they're freaked out what's going on, right? Uh, Because they've gone to get food, and they come back, and she splits and goes and grabs the whole town and goes, you gotta come hear this dude who's told me my entire life. He knows everything about me. You gotta come meet him. Is it possible that this is the Christ? And the whole town comes out, and they're like freaking out. The disciples are like, what is happening right now? And which is how the disciples are most of the time, by the way. Uh, And he, what is happening? And so they come out, and and, and they can't figure out, and the people come to hear what, see Jesus, and he's like, dude, you gotta stay with us. And Jesus stays in Samaria for two days talking to everybody in the town. Like, this is an amazing story. But do you see how it's the exact same thing? She's the opposite end of the social spectrum. She's the opposite end of the religious order section, right? She's lived a very hard life. She's not a descendant of Abraham in the way that Nicodemus is. She's not keeping the law, not like Nicodemus is. And Jesus offers her the same exact access to the kingdom. He says to him, you had to be born of, of, of blood and water, right? These are, these are symbols where he's saying, hey, if you want access to this kingdom, you've got to be born, you have to have this living water. You have to have, this is the way to have it. And then he says the same thing to her. I, could have, I can give you living water. I can give you access to this kingdom. The eternal life that you're looking for, I have access to that. And Jesus offers that offers her that to her and she's like yeah like I, I want that can you please explain it to me sometimes the life that you're living slams into reality and they were both living lies and Jesus shows up to introduce them to a new reality that they had not even conceived of Nicodemus thinks if I can just follow the rules because of how I was born in the world, if I just follow the rules, everything will be fine. My life will go the way it's supposed to. Heaven will come in and the kingdom will come and I'll be a part of this kingdom. And they meet, he meets Jesus and Jesus says, none of that is true. You've misunderstood everything. He meets a woman who's just trying the best to get by. She's not living the religious life like Nicodemus is. She's completely into the social spectrum, completely opposite in the religious section. And Jesus says to her, life doesn't work the way that you think it does. I can give you access to eternal life. Unbelievable. All of that to say this. Well, also to point out how amazing Jesus is, right? All of that to say this. There doesn't seem to be a way 
according to Jesus. To tack him on to what you're already doing. Does that make sense? Like, I think Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's like, I need to know more about this guy. Maybe this guy can help me out. Maybe I can learn something from him. And, and he goes to him and says, hey, listen, man. Or he goes to talk, and Jesus just knows what he's going to say and just jumps into it and says, hey, listen, the only way in is through believing. But here's the thing, right? Like, Nicodemus can't just tack believing in Jesus onto thinking that doing the right things and living the right way is going to get him into heaven. You can't just add Jesus to that, Right? Because Jesus says it's through faith in me not alone and not through these other ways. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I, like, do, I, do I stop doing the things? And Jesus is like, it's not about stopping doing the things, man. It's about believing in me and not believing in your works to get things done. Right? Same thing to this woman. How do you tack Jesus on to, hey, my life is just hard. I'm doing the best that I can get through. I've been through five relationships. I, I've been trying, to, I, I'm just trying to make it. How do you say, how do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the access to eternal life, and then just go back to living how you were? I, I think what I've been trying to get out all week, the thing that, I, that, I've, that I've felt and not really been able to, to figure out how to say is, is something like the, my experience in the Christian life will, has been, you know, what does it mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so much of my life, it was like, well, you just follow these rules, right? Like you just, you know, you don't, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't go to our movies, right? Like that was, that was the rules, right? And then you just try to be good. And you're like, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that, that I have faith in him. And he's like, how can you believe that doing these things will get you into heaven and then say that you believe in Jesus? How do you, how do you believe, how do you have faith in Jesus that Jesus is all I need and then also just really trust all of the rules to get me by? And here's the thing, that's just programmed deep inside some of us. I'm one of them. I think I've shared before. I, I wish I had a better example. I hate to bring it up over and over again, but I can't think of a better example because uh, it's so personal. Uh, but something happened in our life it was really hard it was really tragic and when we got the news you know what the first thing I thought was what else do I have to do for you what else do I have to do for you because it's just built inside of me look I've done all of these things now I would have never ever 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 taught that preached that even I didn't even think I believed that but when bad things happened when reality crashed into my world I thought I was managing everything just fine on my own I didn't really believe in Jesus I believed I had everything in control and was tacking Jesus on and Jesus shows up and says I got something so much better for you than you trying to manage everything, than you trying to behave, than you trying to act, if you would just turn everything over to me, if you would believe that I am the way, that, I, that this is reality, that if you have me, that, the way, that when I am lifted up, even though that way looks down, when I am crucified that, that, that way, even though that looks awful and terrible and you could never believe and understand how this is true, if you believe in me and see what I'm doing, then that's your access, not all the things that you're doing. Well, does that mean that all the things that I was doing in bad and now I can go to R-rated movies all the time because of Jesus? No. There's a difference, right? And that's the hard part, right? It doesn't mean that I, fought, that I, you know, that I, that I double down on the rules and also it doesn't mean that I throw everything out the window and now I can do whatever I want. I, I can go through relationship after relationship after relationship like it doesn't matter. I can throw anything into my brain like it doesn't matter. I, I don't get to throw the rules out the window, 
It just means that they won't save me. Uh, Me doing those things are because my heart has been changed. And if I've just been living however I want and somebody comes along and Jesus, and I say, do you believe in Jesus? And I go, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I just live however I want. No, that can't be true either. Because Jesus can't just be tacked onto the life that I'm already living. What it means then is, so what is it, Chris? Do I follow the rules? Do I not follow the rules? And the answer is you give everything to Jesus. You believe that he is who he says he is, that reality works a certain way, the way that he says it does, and that this beautiful thing opens up where following his commandments don't become a thing that you believe in, you believe in him, but becoming, following his commandments become your happy choice. Forgiving becomes a thing you're eager to do because of your love for Jesus. Uh, Loving your neighbor, loving your enemy becomes a thing that you are eager to do because he's shaping your heart to look like his. It's not legalism or licentious. It's not antinomianism. There's no rules and no law or you have to follow these rules. It is Jesus and Jesus alone and that leads you down a certain path when you really, really believe that. Because the tendency is, right? I just, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I've been trying to get at. I think. Let's see how it turns out. We don't know. Here's what I think I've been trying to get at all week. Jesus is the destroyer of worlds, right? Like he enters your life and the way that you understand things, he just wrecks it. He blows it up. It's not how good you are. It's not that you're free. He blows it up and says, look, I'm here to give you life. And the access to the eternal life that you're looking for, the kingdom, the God quality life flowing into you, represented by that tree in the garden way back then, that can flow into you so you can live now and your life can produce all of this fruit. Why? Because my life flows into you by faith in me. He comes to you and he says this, that I am your everything. And you look at the world and say, yeah, yes, that is all of the things that I've hoped for. That is all the things I want. My tendency, though, when I hear that is, what is your response to a God who has loved you this way, that he would come himself, be lifted up on a cross to die? What is your response? And my response is naturally you're right, I need to double down on reading my Bible. My whole life's differently now, so I gotta read my Bible harder. I gotta believe harder, even if I don't really believe. I have to say that I believe harder. I had to double down on doing all the things. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, I'm not asking you to double down on all things. Yes, like though as a pastor, yeah, you should read your Bible. <laughs> like it's a good thing to do. Like yes, you should pray, but don't believe that they're gonna save you. You you do them because you love Christ or you want to know more about him or you want to explore this more. But Jesus comes in and he blows up my understanding of how, well, everything, right? He blows up my understanding of how I'm supposed to feel about others, how I'm supposed to feel about success, how I'm supposed to feel about failure. Listen, you can't believe in Jesus. Nicodemus can't believe in Jesus and just go back to living the way that he was living. Uh, The woman at the well can't believe in Jesus, really believe in Jesus, and go back to the way that she was before. Any more than Truman can get to the edge of the dome, realize his whole life has been a lie, and just go back inside and pretend like none of that happened. No, like a new reality's been revealed to you. Right? There's a scene in the Matrix. Here we go. They're gonna take my watch. Uh, the scene in, in, in the Matrix where this guy, he's been woke. He, somebody brought this up to me this week, and I was like, "Oh, this is really helpful." He's he's been he's been he's just been woken up. They they he's been living in the Matrix, this fake constructed world, 
They wake him up and he's like, this is terrible. I hate this world. Could you please just put me back in the matrix? I don't care if it's a lie. It doesn't work that way. You can't meet Jesus and, and him say, I'm Lord, and you go, great, I believe that, and nothing ever changes. Because he, he's Lord. He demands everything, and, 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 and that's such a beautiful thing. It's such a, it's such a gift. It's such a, an amazing thing that God would love us so much that he would give his only son that we could have access to his eternal life. And we begin to fall in love with the beauty of who he is, and it just changes things. Let me, let me just pull from last week. Last week's conclusion was this, and it's gonna be the same as this week's conclusion. This week's conclusion is the same as last week. Talked about last week about how uh, this guy named Dallas Willard said that the counsel of the wicked, it's not like we're sitting around asking uh, which, which is what to do, right? Like it's not, he said the counsel of the wicked is not, pursuing evil, it's just the way most people talk. The counsel of the ungodly is just the way that most people talk. It's to live as though it were not true that you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's glorious universe. It's to live as though it matters what people think of me, as though the outcomes of my life were up to me and in my control, to live as if aging is something to worry about, to live as if satisfying my desires and appetites is central to my well-being and a wise strategy for living. That's the counsel of the ungodly, to just go about as if I, Jesus hadn't said to me by faith in me, I will make you a child of the king. As if he didn't say to you and to me uh, that I love you, the thing that you've been seeking for most in the world we found in me. Uh, it's as it, to live as if he doesn't look at everybody in this room and everybody in this city and everybody in this country and love them enough to die for them. Like he said all these things and, and lived all these things out and shown us all of this reality and to live like we haven't seen this reality, to, to pretend like we're just gonna go on about our lives as if we didn't now know that it's more blessed to give than to receive, as if we didn't now know that this short time we have on this planet is nothing compared to the weight of eternal glory being prepared for us in eternity. It's just so much more Offered. So what I'm asking is not for you to affirm something that you don't believe. Uh, what I want is for you to look at your life and based on how we live, what is it that you believe is real and true? Does, and how does Jesus Coming, how does God coming into the world as a, as, as a man and, and dying on a cross, how does that alter how you live? How does that reality change? For example, I mean, the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross, like, that has something to say about whether or not I worry about getting old. Right? And in this culture, it's really hard not to worry about those things, right? Like, I just, you know, where's my hairline going, you know? It's really hard to forgive people who have hurt me. I hold on to those things. But if Jesus really came and died and rose again, I mean, that means something about how I love other people, right? 
It's really hard for me to think of others and serve them and and to let go uh, of grudges, but if Jesus came and died on the cross and God loved me that much, I don't need their approval. I don't need their affirmation that I've done the right thing. I have God Almighty's approval. And that that means something about how I then live. That Jesus has something to say, not just about me seeing R-rated movies or whatever it is, right? But that Jesus has something to say about the way that I think and feel. And I let him speak into that. That he wants to change my heart so I don't even feel those things anymore. What a beautiful gift to produce in our lives instead of bitterness and anger and lust and the things that our hearts naturally produce, but instead to produce joy and peace and patience and goodness and mercy, thankfulness, self-control, to produce these things in our life. I mean, if he came and he died on the cross and I have access to that eternal life through him, I mean, that means something about how I think and feel. And that's such good news because left to my own devices, those things are just burdens to me. I think and feel wear me out. What I think about myself and what other people say about me exhausts me. But if Jesus came and died, man, and by faith in him, I can be considered a child of the king. I just live different, right? I think different. I, I, I am different. He's the destroyer of worlds, and I mean that in the best possible way. He breaks down the lies that we're living by to show us the reality that he created us for a relationship with him and that all the love that we're seeking, he has offered us. And every time we look at the cross, we see what our sin costs, but also how deeply loved we are. That is amazing. So look at our lives. What, how am I living? What am I believing? What, am I, like, what wakes me up in the middle of the night? My savings account got low, and it wakes me up in the middle of the night. What does that say about what I trust? About what's true and real? How the stock market doing? My employment status? Getting older? Uh, all these things. Are those the things that worry me and consume me? If so, Jesus has really good news. He breaks down lies. He tears these things apart and shows us what life is really like and then teaches us and enables us to follow him. But it requires that we see him for who he is, the one son of God who came and died and was lifted up that we, through faith in him, might have access to the eternal life, producing in our life all these beautiful things. And that's what I want for you. I want to tell you about how beautiful Jesus is and so that the spirit then begins to work in our lives to break up the rocky grounds that are resistant in our heart, so the rocky places in our heart that are resistant to the gospel so that just the seed planted there and the spirit waters it and it begins to grow and produce all of these things in your heart and in your mind and in your life and in those around you. That's what I want. I want the Spirit to use God's Word to work in our life to produce life and life more abundantly. And it's available to us now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your Word that shows us what life is like and what it means to follow you, what it means to have hope, how the world really works. That you show us and teach us these things. What it means to be 
a child of the king by faith, that yes, there are things that you have to walk away from. There are things that you previously, that I previously thought would satisfy that won't. There are things that you have done to open our eyes to the reality of a God whose kingdom is coming. So make us people who are eager to see that, eager for Christ to come, eager to recognize that we need rescue, eager to recognize that we cannot control and manage these things. But the Spirit moves and wakes and gives life and gives new hearts. Make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.